Hey, everybody, welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I will be bringing you the weekend warm up where we will go over all of the action from Germany this week and some of the most recent Bayern Munich news. I hope you guys are ready. I hope you're prepping for your weekend where hopefully you're going to knock back a couple of beers. I know I plan to once I get through this day, but uh, let's get started. We'll go right at it with the Germany and Hungary match and kind of the fallout from that. Obviously, what we saw in that 2-2 draw was Yogi Love getting extremely lucky that he had some players come through from his bench and make things happen. Uh, <clears throat> this was really not uh, an ideal game for Germany. Uh, Hungary was a good, tough, disciplined op- opponent, and they really made things difficult for Germany uh, by playing such a condensed formation and really making Germany work offensively. And I'll be honest, I thought, despite the fact that Germany controlled possession, Hungary uh, did exactly what they wanted to do. They made Germany apprehensive in their own end, their own offensive end. Uh, The movement was really poor. There were not some great dynamic short runs. Uh, The passing, uh, like we have seen so many times before under Yogi Love, was just not great. Uh, There was little to no precision in the offense. And I think uh, ultimately what happened in getting the 2-2 draw is Germany got a little bit lucky in that they had some players step up off the bench and make things happen. Uh, And while this game's kind of been discussed and debated ad nauseum uh, on our site and elsewhere, I think it's really key to look at how things kind of developed uh, throughout that game and where they ended up. And obviously the big theme was uh, Germany is really choppy offensively. Uh, In terms of movement, which is something I'll be harping on and on about, uh, I don't think they've been very fluid. I think part of that is the frontline trio, and in that particular game it was Kai Havertz, Serge Gnabry, and Leroy Sané. Uh, They were interchanging positions quite frequently. There was no consistency. I think um, the ball tended to go up the right side so much in the first half that it kind of isolated the entire left side. It made it very difficult for Germany to attack because everything was so based on the right side and when the front line was interchanging positions so much and they were it was very inconsistent as to who would be where there was some confusion and things were just not fluid not fluid at all and um, I think Germany was stagnant the the lack of movement was was again um, we could have just put traffic cones or trash cans out there at times uh, there was just nothing going on and and hopefully that's one of the things that Yogi Love will look at and try and attack. And based on some of the latest news we saw come out this morning, uh, this morning being Friday morning, uh, he might be intending to do something like that. But back to the game, um, obviously Kai Havertz, uh, who wasn't great by any means in the game, but he continued to do things that impact and affect the game. Uh, he did ever so slightly nick his head on the ball to put it into the net to temporarily tie the game for Germany at 1-1. Obviously, uh, the Germans gave up another goal quite quite quickly after that, uh, which put Hungary up 2-1. And then Yogi turned to his bench, where he called upon Leon Goretzka, Thomas Muller, Kevin Volland, uh, Timo Werner, Jamal Musiala, to all come in and positively impact game. And that's exactly what they did. Uh, Werner and Musiala did a little combo work. Ball cycled a little bit. There was a shot, a deflection. And ultimately, in the end, Leon Goretzka put the game winner home like we all knew he would. Uh, It was a travesty that he was not in the starting lineup to begin with. 
And all Goretzka did was go out and show exactly why he should have been in the 11 to begin with. Um, that is, I mean, I'm still stunned that Yogi Love is is so stubborn at times with his decision-making. And once he puts his quote-unquote made men in the formation, it is very tough to get them out. And we'll talk a little bit about those made men uh, coming up. But uh, what Germany can take out of that is they need to change. They cannot go into this England match at Wembley Stadium with the same starting 11 or the same stagnant offense or the same defense that is susceptible to the quick counterattack, which we have seen repeatedly uh, of late. So hopefully Germany gained a little momentum in getting that draw and a little confidence. But let's be honest, there is still a lot of work to do, and the Germans uh, need to figure some things out and figure them out quickly. Uh, back to the story that we saw come out this morning. Uh, we saw that Yogi Love could potentially be considering not just a change in some of the personnel, but also a change in formation. And if there is a change in the formation, uh, it would be going back to a back four. Uh, whether that would be a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3, we don't know. But ultimately, the player that would be most affected by that would be Robin Guzzins. Now, Guzzins had a superstar breakout game against Portugal in the group stage, but was okay against France and subpar against Hungary. Um, Guzzins, of course, is a more offensive option as a left wing back, and he's quick, and he makes dynamic runs, and he's got some offensive ability. Uh, defense is not his forte. He's not bad at it. I don't want to dog him that way. I think he's a, an average defender, maybe a little above average. But in a back four setup, it would not be uh, advantageous for his style of play. And if that happens, uh, the big rumor is that Marcel Halstenberg from RB Leipzig will get the call to take over for Guzzins. Personally, I do not feel like Yogi Love is going to change the formation. I think he will stick to his 4-3-3. If he does opt to go to a back four, he certainly will have some options uh, that he'll have to look at. I guess one of those would also be Matthias Ginter sliding out to play right back. Um, but Ginter hasn't been great either. He's been good, I guess. Good. Um, Mats Hummels has been more valuable for his leadership than his actual play on the field. He's been good as well, I guess. Um, struggled at times. Obviously, you could really point the finger at Ginter and Hummels for a couple of goals that have happened uh, in the group stage. But uh, in the end, you need a player like Hummels out there directing traffic and trying to make things happen. And I think one thing that gets overlooked is because he was involved in a couple of mistakes, um, all the good stuff he did definitely was not accounted for um, because of the magnitude of those mistakes. So hopefully uh, Yogi gets the situation sorted, but I think that he'll stick with his 3-4-3. And this is where it gets really interesting because aside of Guzzins having his position potentially at risk, uh, we also saw that Leroy Sané, Serge Gnabry, and Ilkay Gundogan are the three other players from the last game starting 11 that could be at risk. And obviously, Gundogan and Sané are most at risk because they have been extremely poor. Uh, Gundogan, we'll start there, has been uh, not impactful at all. Uh, after such a good season he had on the club scene for Manchester City, you would have thought Gundogan would have had more confidence and would have been ready for this, but it almost looks like, and I hate to say it, he's, he's a little slow right now. Um, his legs look tired. He doesn't look as crisp or as efficient or as precise as we saw during the club season. Part of that could be the people around him. 
Uh, part of it could be the system, but part of it just looks like he's tired. And I think that at this stage of the game, you can't risk putting out a lethargic or fatigued player. I think you have to go with a what I would call a better player right now, and there's no doubt in my mind that it's Leon Goretzka. I think Goretzka needs to be a part of the 11. I think he proved it. Um, with how he played against Hungary, as soon as he came into the game, he made three dynamic runs that created space. It gave the offense chances. And uh, ultimately, these were opportunities that if the team was a little more precise, a little more accurate, could have been uh, very dangerous for the German attack. Uh, there is no other midfield, not even midfielder on Germany, not even Joshua Kimmich, who is capable of doing what Goretzka can in terms of impacting the game in the box. Now, listen, I think Joshua Kimmich is the best midfielder on earth, but what Leon Goretzka brings to the table is the ability to go win balls in the air, the uh, dynamic shot, the ability to make runs. This guy can do it all, and he is the midfielder that Germany needs right now to make uh, not just make a bigger impact than what we've seen from Gundogan, but to really be able to come in and do something special against England. Um, it's just time. It needs to happen. Gundogan has had a great career. He's still a good player, uh, but he is not as good as Goretzka right now. And Yogi Love really does need to pass the torch. Um, as far as things go with that, I think that that's a no-brainer. The other no-brainer is obviously... At this stage, I think you need to replace Leroy Sané with Thomas Muller, which is really just going back to how the starting lineup looked for the first two games of the group stage. We all know this. If if Muller was healthy, uh, he didn't sustain that knee injury against Portugal, then he would have been in the starting 11 versus Hungary. But the fact that Yogi Love was desperate enough to call on an injured player, bring him out uh, when the team was desperate against Hungary, it shows you just how important Thomas Muller is not just in the eyes of his teammates, but in the eyes of the manager. Uh, Thomas Muller was a player just a couple of months ago who couldn't get a call to this team, and now all of a sudden you can't take him off the field. Um, and, and, you know, anybody that's watched Bayern Munich over the past, what, I don't know, 10 years, has realized that. So Muller for Sané is definitely what needs to happen. The final starter that is in jeopardy uh, is Serge Gnabry, and... I refer to Gnabry as one of Lowe's, Yogi Love's made men. Uh, just like Tony Kroos, uh, Gnabry has been excellent under Yogi Love. He has been a great player, a productive player. Uh, this is really the first bout of inconsistency or struggling that we've seen Gnabry have on the international scene working under Yogi Love. And that's why it's been so perplexing with how he's played. His movement is off. Uh, those, you know, sharp Crisp runs in the box haven't been there. He's been indecisive on the ball. He's made some poor decisions. Uh, he hasn't been able to execute. And these are all things that just a year ago, or a year and a half ago even, we could say Serge Gnabry was doing just perfectly. He was taking advantage of every situation. If you gave him an inch, he was by you, and he was going to capitalize on that situation. Right now, it looks like he's battling himself a bit. Not so, not so different than Leroy Sané, honestly. A lot of this, I think, has to deal with each player's confidence. And for Serge Gnabry, you know, I can't see Yogi Love pulling him from the lineup. I honestly don't think he will. But the two players mentioned as replacements for Gnabry would be Timo Werner and Jamal Musiala. Now, the Werner situation, I think a lot of people would scoff at. A lot of people make fun of it because... He himself has had his own issues with confidence. And really, everything that's holding him back right now is in between his ears. 
After such an up and down season with Chelsea, Werner really has put himself under the microscope. Uh, and part of it is because he's thinking too much about the game and you can tell. He has also, like Gnabry, like Sané, uh, he's battling his own confidence. So you might say, well, why would you replace one player struggling with another? Uh, the, the difference could be in this situation that Werner right now um, could have a fresh outlook after spending some time on the bench. He definitely has the pace to get behind that English defense and make thing, make life hell for them. Uh, and he, as always, he has a nose for goal. And if he is on and he is focused and he is confident, is a dangerous goal-scoring threat. So he is a viable option in my eyes, and I'm not just saying that because I was the hashtag Timo time guy. But I think that at this point, when you're in a knockout round and you've got a player struggling like Gnabry, it might not hurt to look at Timo Werner. The other option in Jamal Musiala is that, uh, you know, Musiala has looked, well, one, he looked great in uh, against Hungary, and not because he filled up the stat sheet. He was not afraid to dribble, he was confident, and he looked dangerous, and he had ideas about what he wanted to do. And honestly, having ideas and looking sharp and crisp are, are all advantages compared to what the other frontline players were doing against Hungary. So I would not be opposed to seeing Musiala either, and I think at this point in his career, he is too young to know any better. He's too young to see how big this stage is, and it doesn't seem to affect him because I don't think he realizes it. That's not a knock on his intelligence. This is obviously a smart and talented kid. But sometimes when you're young, you don't quite think about the magnitude of every situation. And I think that Musiala is one of the kids. He's, a, he's the kind of player who might be able to step his game up and embrace this. So I'll be, you know, really, it'll, I'll be interested to see how Yogi Love manages this. This is really a situation where we could see some things change or nothing at all. But at a minimum, I think Muller and Goretzka get their way into the lineup. I don't think Yogi is ready to bench another one of his made men in Serge Gnabry, but he's at least thinking about it. And even him contemplating this shows that there are, I don't know, at least some things spin, some wheels spinning in his brain that are not just going to revert to doing what he has always done, which is protect some of his made players. Uh, with that, we'll take a small transition over to Bayern Munich, where, again, the 3-4-3 is right at the heart of the discussion. Um, a story that came out earlier today indicated that uh, Julian Nagelsmann is really looking for a right wing back, and this seems to be a prevalent theme among stories about Bayern Munich over the past three to four weeks. And it was interesting to see the names that Nagelsmann was considering to fill that role. Now, if we if we rewind a little bit, we can look back to all those stories that state that neither Nagelsmann or, nor the front office think that Benjamin Pavar is capable of playing that right wing back position. And if that's the case, and if Pavar really need, does need to play center back, then obviously you're going to need a right wing back, assuming that Joshua Kimmich will stay in the midfield, which I think everyone assumes that he will. Um, and while I'm not so sure that Pivar can't fill that right wing back role, I, I, I'm a little skeptical that Byron's going to be able to fill this position if they do indeed move to a 3-4-3 with any type of viable player, because one, they don't have the transfer budget to make it happen, and two, those players are very difficult to find as is. So this really could be uh, a, a, an issue, and we'll see how that goes. But the two players that Nagelsmann was allegedly looking at were Justin Shea from FC Dallas and 
an internal candidate in Christopher Scott, who was an attacking midfielder by trade. So with Justin, Justin Shea, he is a player that I think mostly everyone assumed Bayern Munich was going to buy this summer. But at the last minute, FC Dallas pulled the rug out from under Bayern Munich and said they were keeping Shea in the United States and he was going to play the season with FC Dallas. And to be honest, that was the smart move. Uh, Bayern Munich got Chris Richards for pennies on the dollar from FC Dallas. And I think if anyone has followed Richards, especially the way I have, one, you knew he was going to be a dynamic player and a good player and a starting caliber player in a top league at some point relatively quickly. And I think we saw Richards prove that during his loan stint with Hoffenheim. This is a kid who's ready to start. It's part of the reason why I want to see him stick with Hoffenheim for at least another year, because I think he'll get the opportunity there that he would not get with Bayern Munich. But regardless, back to Shea, he is a player that probably has, I don't want to say the same kind of potential as Chris Richards, because I don't think he does, but he's got enough potential to warrant a bigger fee. And FC Dallas was not going to let that kind of talent go for a lesser number once again. So credit to them for just smart business and keeping Justin Shea in the house. But I think that what we need to look at with this is the next option, because the next option is so outside the box, it's kind of really shocking. And that attacking midfield prospect, Christopher Scott, was another name that Nagelsmann wanted to move out to the right wing back position. And listen, Scott, uh, by all accounts, uh, is, is a good prospect and an attacking midfielder who specializes in his offensive work. So there is something that Nagelsmann has seen within his skill set that would allow him to move out to right wing back and be a success. Now, would that happen? I don't know. I don't know if anybody knows that question, but it's interesting that Nagelsmann is already looking at different ways to fill this spot internally rather than uh, exploring the external options. So um, I do not know if uh, Christopher Scott is going to be one of the players that will be able to make that transition and change his position at this stage of his career. I mean, he's obviously a good enough prospect that if someone like Nagelsmann believes it, it probably could happen. And maybe the kid has a versatile enough skill set to adapt it and make it work. But it shows you the state of finances for Bayern Munich right now. If indeed, and this is a huge if, none of us really know at this point that Nagelsmann is going to roll out that 3-4-3, uh, we could see Christopher Scott uh, be a viable option because there's simply not that many other people. I mean, obviously, if Pavar is playing center back, he won't be out there. If Nicholas Sula is even with Bayern Munich by the start of the season, which, depending on what reports you read, uh, is, is kind of a 50-50 shot, um, he could potentially slide out there, but he's not an ideal right wing back. If anything, I mean, he's obviously a center back by trade and could potentially play right back in a back four, but he doesn't strike me as a right wing back by any means. Uh, the only other true option out there would be Bunasar, who I don't think anybody wants to see out there. His uh, arrival in Munich was not celebrated, and then his performance was uh, well left a lot to be desired. So I don't know right now if anyone has the answer for Nagelsmann. I don't know if he has the answer. We don't even know for sure if he's moving to a 3-4-3, but there have been so many rumblings about it that I think it's fair for people to start to speculate and question whether, one, he's actually going to do it, and two, if he does do it, is it really going to work? Uh, this, is a, this is a club that has spent, the I don't know, the last decade building their roster around a 4-2-3-1, and three players that could really be hurt in that situation if there is indeed a 
the change to a 3-4-3 or Kingsley Coman, Serge Gnabry, and Leroy Sané. Now, we've talked at length about Sané and Gnabry over the past couple of episodes and the difficulty they've had playing a little bit more narrow. They just don't look comfortable. I would have thought Gnabry would have been further along at this point in being able to make that transition, especially because he has played under Nagelsmann before and should be a little more comfortable. Um, the big question is, can he do it consistently for Bayern Munich if they opt to go to that 3-4-3? I'm not sure he's capable of it at this point from what I've seen. Uh, we've also heard his name kicked around as a right wing back candidate. So who knows what is happening? But uh, Gnabry could go a bunch of different ways. I do have more confidence in him than I do in the other options because he's done it before. But uh, it's needless to say, this is something we really need to keep an eye on. As for Sané, I, I, I'm really worried about him on the club level because he seems to be a more true traditional Byron winger speed can pe- beat people with his dribble loves to be loves to cut in uh, using him as an inverted winger seems like a no-brainer but if there is no winger position to be had is he going to be effective and it's a fair question and it really you know brings up the transfer strategy from last season and spending so much time effort and money in trying to get a player like Sonny if he is not able to even adapt to a new formation as for Coman uh, again, he appears to be a traditional Bayern winger. Great speed, great ability, great footwork. Uh, can finish uh, when he is focused. Uh, he really got over some of the bouts with poor decision-making that he had in the past and developed into a really dependable player, at least uh, for the calendar year of 2020. What we saw in the second half of last season was was a player that looked fatigued and wasn't quite with it, didn't look as sharp. Um, you know, and as I've said before, I thought Jamal Musiala was the best winger option on the team by the end of the season, uh, given that Coman, Gnabry, and Sané just all looked lethargic and fatigued. Um, but regardless, it, it's a fair question to wonder what happens to those three players in addition to who fills the right wing back position if Nagelsmann does indeed make that decision. So that is one thing that we will certainly be following as it goes on. And that'll bring us to the end of this episode. As always, appreciate you listening to this. We've had a blast covering the Euros. We always have a blast talking Bayern Munich. Keep listening. Keep checking our website, BavarianFootballWorks.com. Check me out on Twitter at The Barrel Blog. Drop me some comments in this post. And as always, enjoy your weekend. Knock back a few. Have some fun. Stay safe. And we will see you next time.